of first responders, um, guess who we have on the line here with us? Uh, we've got um, we've got police chief, uh, Chief Mitchell R. Davis. He's chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department. And uh, I know that there's been a, a lot of discussion, especially with the protest rallies of defund the police and the discussion and topic of police reform. It's something that we've been talking about extensively here on WGN Radio. but we And we talked about it yesterday as well, but we couldn't miss the opportunity to do so with somebody that is a local, currently acting police chief. Um, so we're so excited to have Chief Davis with us. How are you, Chief? Hi, G. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. I am doing well. And I know that you're kind of in an area that's experiencing some severe weather. So are you okay? I am. Uh, there's been some sirens and things going off, especially in Hazelcrest. Uh, power's been going on and off, but we're, we're safer right now. Well, uh, so thank you so much for being with us. First of all, let me ask you, how are you doing throughout all of this? Um, you know, I just wonder, n- not necessarily from you wearing your chief of police hat, but just as a, a citizen, how are you doing? Well, gee, um, it, it's it's challenging, but but I'm, I'm a half a glass half full guy, so I'm trying to be optimistic during these times because uh, as as a black man um, and as a black police officer and a black chief, uh, I bring a, a unique perspective. And uh, for years now, for years, I've been the things that are that are being addressed right now as far as police reform and some of the things that, that need to be addressed in our profession. And I love my profession, but there are things that need to be changed. And uh, I have taught around the country to my mm-hmm. peers about uh, recognizing the wrongs that have been done uh, by law enforcement as it pertains to black communities and some of the things that we have to take responsibility for in order to develop relationships and, and, and bring our partnership with the community forward. Just those descriptors of who you are as a person and then also your profession, I, you're naturally catapulted into a leadership position here in this entire um, George Floyd fallout. I mean, you, you truly ha- are. Yes, ma'am. And I guess the fact that I, the fact that people know me for having been in this arena long before this mm-hmm. tragic incident, uh, you know, I, I, you know, my, my phone's ringing off the hook and it's mm-hmm. because, because folks know that, Hey, you've been making this argument for some time now, you know, so the the one you know and once again in this tragic situation the one blessing that i'm trying to to hope for and praying for is that some of the things that we have been asking about will now get the attention that it so deserves and i i heard uh george floyd's brother just say it was something that almost brought me to tears where he he made a statement saying that you know his brother was the type of person that if he knew that by sacrificing his life that he could change things all over the world as it becomes to race, as it comes to race, he would sacrifice his life again in a heartbeat. And that just was like, a, it was like, wow, that just speaks volumes. Well, a lot to talk about with Chief Mitchell R. Davis III. He is the chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department. And we're going to talk about um, a lot of things, police reform. We're going to talk about sort of reallocation of budgets, whether he thinks that's practical, if there's a difference between the city city versus like smaller towns and, and villages being able to do that. Also going to talk to him about the Chicago cop that was put on desk duty uh, for flipping off uh, protesters who was stripped of police powers today as well. And uh, 
a lot to talk about with him. So 312-981-7200, all of that coming up. We're going to continue our conversation with Chief Davis, um, Chief Mitchell R. Davis III. He is the chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department, 312-981-7200. And if anybody can see it from both sides as a police officer and then also as a black man, it is Chief Davis. So, Chief, not only um, have do you have your own life experience, but uh, you're also the father of uh, younger black men as well. Absolutely. I um, I have three sons uh, that are in there. One is 30, 29, and 28. So uh, I have three sons that are in that age, and I have a grandson who is about to be 13. So uh, I have, you know, I got a lot in, in, invested here, invested in it. And even as a police officer, of course, you're um, a chief, but did you have the conversation about what to do when your sons encountered a police officer with them from an early age? So they, they get to see it from a couple different perspectives. They get to see it uh, from, from my profession being around me and my colleagues and, and knowing uh, police officers personally. Uh, but at the same time, you, you know, you have to have that conversation because I, I've shared with them uh, the experiences that I've had. Um, you know, I, I, I became a police officer when I was 28 years old. So there were years before that that I have had that I had encounters uh, with law enforcement became before I became a police officer. But most interestingly, and this is what uh, one of the things I teach in my classes, is that the worst two experiences that I had with police officers were both while I was a police officer. And in both instances, the officers knew I was a police officer. And one of them, in one instance, I was a police chief and the person knew I was a police chief. So, um, I, I, you know, they know those stories and I share those stories with my colleagues and uh, uh, and just share the, the difference that that exists that they may not know about or they they just might not see it in the way we see it. Uh, so it, it, I do have that, that that conversation with them. Wow, there's so many layers to that, uh, to that, what you just shared with us that, uh, you know, there's probably not enough time to delve into that deeply. But it sounds like this is work in terms of police reform and training that you've been working at for a long time, long before the fallout from George Floyd. Uh, what are some of the things that you agree with in terms of what protesters are calling for in terms of police reform? So I've been, so uh, I'm, I work with the, the lieutenant governor has a uh, police reform initiative, and, and uh, I'm a representative for the Illinois Police Chiefs Association on that initiative. And I've been involved in some other police reform initiatives in addition to uh, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. So from a from a technical standpoint, uh, I have been involved in that fight. Uh, the, the biggest thing as far as police reform, as far as personally and professionally, what I've seen is the culture has to change. The culture of law enforcement that has existed far too long has to change because the culture that exists, uh, officers, the, the bad officers are in the minority. They, mm-hmm. Most officers are out there doing the best that they can with what they got and their hearts are in it and they're putting their lives on the line every day and they're serving the community. But what happens is there's a culture that exists that sometimes draws good officers or well-intended officers into situations or into circumstances that they may not even realize where how they got there. They look up and it's you know they're doing things and it's you know this is just what is done, and the culture that exists 
has to change, and that can only just a couple ways. We got to start off at the top with leaders that are going to hold officers accountable, and we have our new officers that are coming in. We have to make sure that if they're exposed to or subjected to people that try to draw them into that negative culture, that they realize that it's okay for that not to happen, and there's an outlet for them to be able to to, to seek out so that they don't have a choice but to succumb to that culture. And that relates to sort of the code of silence, right? The code of silence is one thing. Um, you know, and, you know, I have that conversation with friends of mine, and you know, from a from a certain vantage point, the code of silence exists in in almost every profession, mm-hmm. and that's what you know. People have told me that I've I got I have doctor friends that hey, you know, there's doctors out there that make mistakes, and the rest of us doctors may not say anything. We know that that's a, that they're not necessarily a good doctor, and we still don't speak out. So. It's not so much the code of silence, but it's just the way that you operate. So one of the things that I talk about is that the the culture that has evolved, uh, you know, through history, through the history of policing, is that in African American communities, most in most African American communities, especially ones that are marginal, you know, they're economically challenged. Most of those communities, the entire pol- community is policed. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, instead of serving the community and policing the criminals, far too often the entire community is policed. And, you know, there's, you know, we just, like you said, we don't have enough time for me to go into all the different instances. But fundamentally, that's the culture is that. You, so the thing that I teach is that and I, and I try to make sure that folks know is that what, no matter what somebody's done, if you have the mindset that I'm going to treat this person as though this is one of my family members, this was my brother, this is my dad, this is somebody that I know, I'm going to, if they were, they just broke into a house, you know, if they were, if they just had a family member murdered, you know, how, how would I want my family treated? Just because they live in a, in a bad situation doesn't mean that they're supposed to be treated less than anybody else. Speaking of the culture, of course, when you viewed the video, of George Floyd and his arrest and um, Officer Chauvin's knee on his neck. I'm sure there were a multitude of emotions as a acting police chief and then also as an African-American man that you were feeling. But in terms of what did you think about the other three officers and why did they not intervene? Is that part of the culture that you're speaking of? That's so the fact that nobody had sense enough to see that this guy, he, 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 he was out of control in a different type of way. He was out, the fact that he killed him. He was out of control. He wasn't, it wasn't a, a spur of the moment situation where he had to make a split second decision uh, and he made the wrong decision. This was a sustained choice that was carried out. And the fact that these other officers did not, nobody, none of the other officers had the wherewithal to say, hey, man, get off his neck. I got it from here, you know, step away. You know, something just as, 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 as basic as that. And that is the culture. That is the culture because I, I think they said one of the officers had only been an officer like for four days. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he just was like, you know, and they said, I think he was the one holding his feet. So I'm sure he just, he was kind of oblivious, you know, I'm, I'm sure with the, with the crowd yelling and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure he was just oblivious. But the fact that, you know, you got people just standing around doing nothing and, and you not just 
not just Mr. Floyd, but you got people on the sidelines, not just this one person. So he can't breathe. They're, they're not, you know, and it, it was just, I, it brought me to tears when I saw it. And, and, you know, it, it's, we've had, they've had in our city council meeting tonight, uh, we, we had a silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And you think about eight minutes and 46 seconds, but when you think about your, your breath being taken away from you, for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And this is another thing. Eight minutes and 46 seconds was when the video started. When the video started, he was already on his neck. Mm-hmm. So it was probably a little longer than that. And so it it's just mind-boggling in, in so many ways. And, you know, speaking of the police culture, once again, there are one of the things that I talk to my peers about is that we've got this this history of when something happens and it involves the police, well, you know, we got to wait until we get all the facts, you know, that, that, and, and the public is sick of hearing that. And I keep telling my colleagues that we have, if something's wrong is wrong. You know, if something's wrong is wrong, we have to own up to it. That's how we develop relationships with the community. And you know what, if, if you, if something is wrong and you, I've made mistakes, Hey, I misspoke on something. I said something to the media, I, I did it for the right reasons, and if I was wrong, I come back and I correct myself. That's what you do when you say something wrong. You don't. Well, we're not going to say anything because until we get all the facts, that that people have had enough of that. In terms of reform, and it's something that you've been working at for for many years. Um, why is it so difficult to create the reform? And do you understand why? From you know playing devil's advocate, why there is a movement to defund the police? So the difficulty is, once again, it goes back to that one word, culture. Mm-hmm. Culture does not change overnight. And, and, and the police culture is so multifaceted. Uh, you know, you got the police unions. Uh, it, you know, there's this it's just it's just so multifaceted. And uh, I, I get it. I get it why people are talking about, you know, if we can't fix it, then why will we continue to pour money into it? Uh, so I get the frustration, uh, but from a practicality standpoint mm-hmm. and for, for, from a service standpoint, I, there needs to be change, but eliminating the police or, or you know, just getting rid of the police, I, I don't know that that would be something that would yeah. be productive for anybody uh, as far yeah. as... I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it doesn't seem as though it's a practical solution. Yeah, and, and defunding, so defunding, you know, re, re, redirecting resources. Um, first of all, I don't know a police department that's operating on surplus. I just don't. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, departments such as myself, you know, the Chicago's are the exception. The, the, the large municipalities are the exception. Most towns are towns like Hazelcrest. They may right. be different in size, but, you know, we don't have an abundance of, of tax base. And we're already doing the best. You know, we have a, we have a great group of officers in our, in our town. I've been blessed to have a great group of officers that work for me. Uh, and they're the ones that deserve all the credit because they're out there every day, boots on ground. But to cut the monies that we do have would mean that we would have to cut services. And we deserve, we, we, we deliver so many fundamental services on a day to day basis, not just Hazelcrest, but police officers all around the world. Most police officers out there are out there every day serving the community as best they can. And then, you know, you have incidents like Minneapolis that just sets us back just so badly. And it is sad and it's, it's hurtful 
uh, both personally and professionally, because I know the work that I'm trying to do to try to make advances. And when, you know, when something like this happens, it's, but once again, I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And, and, and uh, George Floyd's brother said itself, hey, if my brother knew that he could have an impact on racism and across the entire world, he'd give his life again in a heartbeat. So I have to keep that in the forefront of my mind as someone who is in a position that can possibly make change to do it for him. You know, so that's that's my responsibility. I've been blessed in my career. I've been blessed with the voice that I have, and I have to use it's a responsibility that comes along with that. So I'm not going to stop the fight. Uh, Chief Davis, can you hang out with us for a little bit longer or do you need to go? I totally understand if you do. I can hang out a little while longer. Yes, ma'am. Okay, great, because I I do want to talk to you a little bit more about the solutions and what you see, because you do see it from both sides uh, coming up. Uh, 312-981-7200. We're going to have more with Chief Mitchell R. Davis. He's the chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department. Continuing our conversation with Chief Mitchell R. Davis. He's chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department. And thank you, Chief, for hanging out with us. I know that you're super busy and super tired and probably doing a lot of media interviews right now. But I think that's an important distinction to point out is that sort of you were talking about budgets and a surplus of budget and outside of big cities. That's just not the case, right? Absolutely. Um, You know, we're we're driving around in cars that are, you know, they have to be repaired every week. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the best with what we can. And to to make a, a cut to our actual budget uh, would, like I said, once again, it would, it would require us to cut services. And, um, you know, that we, we don't want to do that by any means. You- uh, larger cities have, they, they, they may, I won't say they have funds that are, you know, that may be, Slice, but they they have program they have more programs out there uh, if you're going to take money from that and, and what what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing is so what what traditionally happens is uh, when socioeconomic things happen and social services are cut the police it falls back on the police we end up dealing with things that we should not have to deal with as law enforcement officers, but we do because that's what we do as the police. You know, people always are always going to call. I don't care what it is. If something's going on in town and they don't know who they're going to call the police department to try to figure it out. And we handle things the best we can. But uh, when social services have been cut, we have to deal on a heightened level of, with the things that we shouldn't necessarily or, or we're not as equipped as professionals. So things like mental health issues, uh, substance abuse issues, homeless issues, there are professionals out there who are much better equipped and will help by all means. But there are people out there and there are communities around the country that have gone to models like that. Um uh, the National League of Cities had something on Capitol Hill back in October that I attended. And there are cities around the country where they've gone to models like that already, where they the, the police don't even respond to certain type calls because they have social service entities that are on call, just like police officers. They're all they're like on patrol. And when the dispatcher finds out the circumstances of the situation, they send the people that are best equipped to handle it. And so. If we could get those things, we've been asking for those things. So if we could get them implemented, it would be a win-win for the citizens uh, and for the police department. And it's a problem that just continues to feed itself because you're saying that. So if a lot of these social service programs aren't there uh, to catch, you know, the most vulnerable people, then it ends up being a situation where you're dealing with the situation down the road. 
Absolutely. Kicking the can down the road. And, uh, you know, we it, it may be somebody in mental health crisis mm-hmm. and we end up responding there. And, you know, it, it ends up turning into a situation where they end up getting arrested, where they don't need to go to jail. They need to go get treatment. You know, and I'm sure, you you know, we've all heard about the, the jail system being the, in, in the state of Illinois. Yeah, being overcrowded and being the largest mental health facility in the state. You know, and, and it's, that's that's not supposed to be that way. So uh, it, it, this, if these type of changes to get the profession, the proper professionals dealing with the proper things done could happen, that would definitely be something that would be a legacy issue. So in terms of um, I know that you're chief of police there in Hazelcrest, but if you are looking at big cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York, um are you're thinking that it's less so much about defunding or reallocating those budgets, but more about also putting additional funds into those social service programs? Absolutely. And there's and and Cook County, actually, at one point earlier this year before the pandemic hit, was actually taking a look at it because obviously Hazelcrest can't afford to do something like that in Hazelcrest. But you know what? Cook County can. Cook County could, you know, Cook County could fill that void for for the Southland. Say they put together those same services for the Southland, you know. So Chicago might be able to do it for themselves, but Cook County could help coordinate that. And I do believe that they were actually looking at something that before like that before all this started. So there, it can happen. It can. It's just a matter of making it a priority and 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 getting the monies there to make it happen, and it can happen. And Chief, what do you say for you know? playing devil's advocate for someone who believes, well, I'm already, you know, paying out so much tax dollars for this service and that service. And why can't people be responsible for themselves and their own lives? What do you what do you say in terms of that? Well, you know what? There's a saying that says when things are better for everybody, things are better for everybody. And some folks believe that and just some folks are you know i I know people that are great people but they just their mindset is hey you know you 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 get what you earn uh you know you get what you earn you work for what you got and and in theory that may work for some folks but that's where the misunderstanding and and the disparities inequities uh in racial inequalities are in the country because you know martin luther king said you know how do you tell somebody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they don't even own a pair of boots you know, so, but if you don't understand that, then, you know, hey, I did it. How come somebody else can't do it? They should have to. So I understand and people are entitled to feel the way that they feel. But, you know, I, I'm I'm going to fight for those that, that have not been as blessed as me. And that's just my mindset. And I'll continue to do that. And that's a, that's a servant's mindset. And as a police chief, I believe that that's the right mindset for me to have. Um, and you mentioned this, and I think we all agree that being a, a police officer is an incredibly difficult job. It's something that I can't even imagine um, how challenging that it is. But in terms of um, being overworked and it being exhausted, and we're hearing about these 12-hour shifts and, you know, and sort of being in these incredibly emotional, you know, high emotions are running situations. For example, like the cop who flipped off the protesters who was Um, stripped of his police powers and put on desk duty today. Um, It sounds as though you're also saying that cops need more support. And and you know what? Cops are human beings. And I'm not trying to justify any improper behavior, uh, but... Cops are human beings, and you know while so the the cop that flipped off the protesters, I'm not going to condone any by any by any means. I'm going to condone that, but 
I don't know what what were preceded and what happened before that, you know. Uh, and like I said, I'm not making excuses by no means, but we're human beings, and, and you know, human beings make mistakes, and uh, mistakes, the, the consequences for those mistakes need to be proportionate uh, to what they are, and that's where leadership comes into play. That's when, you know, okay, as a, as a chief, you know, I'm going to look at this person's history. You know, does this person have a, a history of doing things wrong? Uh, have they been disciplined before? Uh, what's their personality? That's where that's where the leadership comes into play to find out how to appropriately deal with that person, so that we 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 put them in a situation where it doesn't happen again, not just for them, but for the citizens, because the citizens don't deserve that, no matter what the circumstances. Well, thank you so much, Chief, for being with us. Is there any uh, words that you want to leave us with? You know, I, I appreciate the time. Um, you know, the one thing that I've just been repeating is that, you know, the community needs to know that the, the solutions are out there. The solutions exist. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, when, during President Obama's term, there was a task, for, task force for 21st century policing, and they came up with, the, they came up with six pillars that had, had detailed recommendations on how law enforcement could better coexist with the community. And uh, the, the NAACP and the Illinois Police Chiefs Association also came up with a thing called the 10 Shared Principles. They're shared beliefs that after two years of doing studies that we came up with that allow law enforcement and members of the black community to coexist, but they can work for anybody. So there's things that are out there just for whatever reasons. Law, there's areas of law enforcement that have not embraced them. Uh, you know, and, and and but they do exist. We don't have to reinvent the wheel and things can get better. And I, I do believe that this time is going to be different. And, you know, for George Floyd, I, even if that man would give his life again, it's our responsibility to work on his behalf. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Chief. Continue to stay safe and we appreciate your hard work. That's Chief Mitchell R. Davis, the third, and he is the chief of police for the Hazelcrest Police Department. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chief.